Good morning. Well, we're in our, the book of Psalms, aren't we? <clears throat> so I'd love for you now to take your Bibles, and we're making our way to Psalm 49. And as you can see in your insert, this psalm is, is distinctive in that it is the first of two psalms that issues a, a universal summons to the people of the world to take heed and to listen carefully to what it is that God would say to them. Psalm 49 is the last in the collection penned by the sons of Korah in book two. Sons of Korah's story, of course, is found in Numbers 16, where their ancestors rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and so there was this sinkhole effect, and they were the uh, beneficiaries of it. They got swallowed up. And uh, yet God in his mercy continued that line, and now we have the sons of Korah who are ministering globally and sharing the good news of the Messiah. You're furthermore going to see that this psalm now uh, comes at the very end of a number of kingship psalms where God has established himself as the universal sovereign over the world and he has his Messiah who we saw in Psalm 45 uh, committed to redeeming his people. And so with all that in mind now, you're bearing in mind that in book one of the Psalms, the major title or name, if you will, for our sovereign one is Yahweh, Lord, capital L-O-R-D. But there's a shift when you get into book two, where now the major name utilized for the sovereign one is G-O-D in the Hebrew, Elohim. The reason is that the covenantal name for God is emphasized in book one because it's primarily communicating to the covenantal community. But book two is primarily communicating to the universal community of humanity. And so now we find a universal name for God, Elohim, used here, and that's found here in this particular psalm as well. Now you're going to want to ask yourself a question as I begin reading. Why doesn't he start talking about God immediately? Why does he wait? What I want you to do is to realize that he's wetting the appetite. He's getting people to start thinking about why are things the way they are for me personally and for the way things are unfolding globally. The pinnacle, the epicenter, the summit of this particular psalm is verse 15, where all of a sudden he begins to talk about God in unmistakable terms. And you are going to be introduced to the principle of resurrection right there. But meanwhile, not to get ahead of ourselves, I'm going to read from verse 1 down through verse 9. You're going to notice in the superscription that this is to the choir master. So now what we find is that this is going to be a musical composition that is meant to get people thinking. Now, it's going to create a sense of a reflective mood this morning. It doesn't mean you become melancholy, 
What it means is that you're going to have to start thinking about the big issues of life that so many escape artists in this world are attempting to avoid. And he's going to deal with the issues of life and death. In reality, he's going to start with the issue of death before he gets to the issue of life. And he's got people asking, why are things the way they are? To the choir master, some of the sons of Korah, notice the global summons. Hear all this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world. Both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see in the pit. So there you have, that's a running start. This gives us some traction. We're going to be looking at all 20 verses and try to divide them up the way this psalm is structured as we look to our Lord now in prayer. And our fathers, we're coming before you. We do so knowing that we have people who are grappling with the meaning of life, wrestling with the purpose of life, and having to figure out how do I distinguish between what's permanent and what's temporary? Keep us from trying to make what's temporary permanent. That's a formula for disaster. Help us to understand what lasts, what doesn't, who matters, and that the one we know as Jesus matters most. Minister to all in each of these services. We know it's spring break in the midst of these travels to and from speaking to the hearts of people who might be out of state but watching online now or in the coming hours. Somebody just tuning in. Maybe this passage is going to speak to just where he or she is at. Maybe two, three, four, five people positioned around a screen right now about to have to think about 
the ultimate issues. So, Father, we pray that's exactly what will take place as we delve into your word. Guide us, direct us. Warm these hearts. Engage these spines. Shape these wills. Come here again now to see Jesus, him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're touring Jerusalem. And we reach a point where perhaps later in the week we have now focused our attention upon something that just now appears on the screen. David's tomb. You and I are looking at this tomb at this point, and, well, what's flooding your mind? You're thinking about perhaps Second Samuel 7, that great passage where God has promised David and his descendants an everlasting kingdom. And you're thinking about it, Easter is approaching, and you're thinking about how does that everlasting kingdom relate to the one you and I know as the everlasting king. But we also know that Israel, and Jerusalem in particular, has one after another visual statement to offer you and me about matters of life and death. David passes away, yet David still lives. There was to be a usurper to the throne. His name was Absalom, and the monument to him now stands forth. Now we're standing a little bit at a distance in our tour. You're getting a broader perspective of the outlay, you see, of Jerusalem. And you and I, we look at each other, you see, and we're pondering how David was the recipient of a promise that had everlasting value. Here's a reminder of Absalom who died as well. And he tried to thwart that promise from happening. But God is sovereign and the Absaloms of this world are not. And so all throughout Israel, you've got mockers, you've got indicators, you've got visual statements about ultimate issues and this whole tension of life and death. Now the escape artists of this world, they turn to alcohol, they turn to other such means to try to avoid dealing with ultimate issues, but the beauty of worship, authentic worship, is that we deal with what's real, you see. And I'm telling you, Psalm 49 deals with what's real. It starts with some challenging issues and inches us forward to hope as we put our faith and trust in Messiah. 20 verses. Let's check them out. I want to start with verse 1 down through verse 4 with you. We're going to be looking this morning at four significant needs in this tension of life and death. As you and I, as we ponder the issues of life and death, I want to begin here in 1 through 4 and note with you the summons that we need we need to heed. It's a summons. It's a universal summons. 
What fascinates me is that this comes after a number of psalms devoted to God's reign, God's kingship. Psalm 45 through Psalm 48, you see. All of which emphasize the universal name for God, Elohim, more so than Yahweh, Lord. He's going to use Elohim quite a bit in, in this passage, but not initially. And we ask ourselves now why. What's going on here is that he's building an on-ramp to talk about things that matter most. And sometimes you can't start with talking about God. Sometimes you're going to have to raise questions. Sometimes you're going to have to raise issues. Get them to begin to think about things that matter most. And then at the moment the strategic moment of the conversation, a but God statement is brought in to the conversation. Maybe not your initial on-ramp, but it's eventually where you're going to be. It's what these people have got to be thinking about. So he begins with, I hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world. Fascinating Hebrew word used rarely in the poetic scriptures. It has to do with something general, something broad. But yet note with me that the next phrase that you see here, the low and high, pertains to the sons of Adam. That's the linkage in the Hebrew language. Rich and poor together. So he's looking at the economic strata and saying, I'm going to lay the groundwork here because eventually the rich and the poor alike find themselves positioned in a grave. And you're going to have to ask, and why am I accumulating what I'm accumulating? Why am I pursuing what I'm pursuing? Why am I driven to maintain what I try to maintain? if that's going to be the end result. But then again, is it the end result? Well, you're up to verse, you're up to verse 3 at this point, aren't you? And in verse 3, I want you to see the linkage between the externals and the internals. The external of the mouth, the internal of the heart. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. And so now his output is dependent upon his input. The exteriors of life are being shaped by the interior of life. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The Hebrew word for wisdom in Hebrew is chokmah. Masterful understanding, skill, expertise, the definition of. And what this world desperately needs are, is for God's people in the midst of confusing global issues such as Russia, Ukraine, to introduce masterful understanding, skill, expertise into the tensions and the dilemmas of life, whether it be at a very personal level or the global level. And so now you're allowing your input to shape your output. 
My mouth shall speak hukmah, wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. You're trying to put the pieces together of truth as it relates to the times in which we live. Taking the timeless truth and apply it in the most timely of ways. That's wisdom. That's hukmah. And when you do that, look what you got here. Lean forward. I will incline my ear to a proverb. Now this is one of the wisdom psalms, the hukmah psalms. And it's going to sound and feel initially like you're reading from Proverbs or Ecclesiastes in particular. I'm going to incline my ear to a proverb. What was a proverb in that time period? It dealt with taking a, a broad truth and communicating it in a succinct form. A timeless truth and communicating it in a very timely way. Less is more. And sometimes you've only got so much opportunity to be able to communicate truth to that family member who's got a short attention span when it comes to things of God. Then I need you and we need to communicate proverbially, to say a lot with a little, interject it perhaps in the form of a question, bringing the proverb into the confusion of everyday life. And notice what he, what he says. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Stringed instrument, like a guitar. But the riddle? Hmm, Bilbo and Gollum have something to say about that. Gollum, this demonic form, is looking at Bilbo, the keeper of the ring that Gandalf has provided. Gollum poses the riddle. I'm not going to try to use his voice. doesn't work. <laughs> what has roots as nobody sees is taller than trees. Up, up it goes, and yet it never grows, he leans forward, Gollum does. Can Bilbo answer? A mountain, says Bilbo, and Gollum grimaces. Strike one. I had to throw some baseball in there. Voiceless it cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters, Gollum leans forward. Wind, Bilbo answers. We go through several more riddles that Gollum offers. This thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, and flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to the meal. 
slays kings, ruins town, and beats the mountain down. One more time, Gollum leans forward. Time. Time. Bilbo responds. Now it's Bilbo's turn. Time to put the golems of this world on the defensive. Now they've got to answer the questions about life. One question. What have I got in my pocket? Gollum squirms and twists. It takes his time. He can't answer it. Like so many people in the world. Seems as if God's got something in his pocket and they don't know what it is. Finally, Bilbo responds. It's the ring. Now, Gollum might think that's unfair. Yet nonetheless, what we find here is that this was the riddle that was used in order to protect this journey that Bilbo was on to get to the point where evil was going to be ultimately addressed in Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's Samson. And in Judges chapter 14, he is riddling, if you will, the Philistines, who are the cousins of the Egyptians. The Egyptians. Israel had made their way out of Egypt at one point. The Philistines want the land. They are the precursors to Palestinians from the same root word. Now, Samson has just killed a lion, and as a result, uh, the carcass has been there. Bees have, have formed around it, and there is now honey to be found within the carcass. Samson samples the honey, loves it, brings it back home. And now it's, he's about to riddle the Philistines, precursors to the Palestinians of today. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. What is it? Initially, they can't answer. They're going to have to manipulate in order to get the answer. What you and I need to realize at this point is that this is the on-ramp that this particular psalmist is used to simply get people thinking. To begin to draw them in to the highway of life where they find themselves, well, he has chosen this particular on-ramp to start engaging people and those that are people of chokmah, masterful understanding, skill, wisdom, understand that. And furthermore, he's using music to do it. Quality music, biblically-oriented music, no matter what your style, should engage people to begin to deal with the issues of life, get them thinking, and that's what he's doing at this point. And so now, use the Bilbo effect. Ponder Samson's approach. 
And as you and I ponder the issues of life and death, we need a starting point. Note the summons here. We need to heed. You've got something to share. They've got something to hear. But now, but now we're on to the second need. Not only the summons we need to heed in 1 through 4, but now the question we need to answer in verses 5 through 12. What's fascinating to me is that too many times we're going to bump into people as we traffic through the highways of life where they don't even know what question it is to ask about the ultimate issues to be addressed. Sometimes we're going to have to ask the question for them. I drive home, I see a billboard that says Jesus is the answer. In our culture, though, we got to assume that people have questions. Or are they drowning their questions in alcohol and drugs? Or seeking ways as an escape artist to avoid dealing with the life-death issues? Here it comes. You're up now to verse 5, aren't you? And he starts the why question. It's a metaphysical question. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Now you look at the globe. You see what's happening right now in the Ukraine and in Russia. And now our, our brethren in the Ukraine. And there are many Messianic Jews, by the way, in the Ukraine. Would read this and say, I've got a basis for trouble. Where do we go with this passage? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Now, in this particular case, the psalmist has got something in mind. Evidently, there is somebody who is cheating. With the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. It's as if they're after this individual's property, after this particular individual's belongings. But like all of humanity, the question is, in whom and in what do you trust? Notice where their trust lies in verse 6. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. In other words, you can't buy your way out of death. For a second time in verse 8, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. It's all consuming, you see here. But twice he utilizes the word ransom. Ah, uh, but you've read ahead, haven't you? And you got to Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, where the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. For many, we can't buy our way out of death. Jesus paid the price so that we can live. Victor Hugo, for half a century I have been writing my thoughts in prose, in verse, history, philosophy, drama, romance, tradition, satire, and so on. I've tried it all but I feel I have not said the thousandth part of what's in me. When I go down to the grave, 
I can say like many others, I finished my day's work, but I cannot say I finished my life. I love what comes next. My day's work will begin again the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare. Closes on the twilight. It opens on the dawn. So writes one of my favorite writers. Twice the word ransom used here in seven and in eight can never suffice that he should live on. And now notice this, mark this. There you are now, you found your on-ramp. You're engaging in the Q&A of life. You've issued the summons. Now you're posing the questions that they are not courage, courageous enough, perhaps. Maybe they're timid to ask the question that we need to answer now. That he should live on forever and never see the pit? What do you do with that? Where do you go with that? You pause. You think. You ponder. You see, at this point, he's talking to the universal population but the universal population might not know the Genesis 3 story. That in the day in which you eat of it, you shall surely die. God wanted Adam to understand death intellectually without having to understand it experientially. Now in the Bible, there are three forms of death. What they share in common is separation. Lorraine Bettner offered us an extraordinary book entitled Immortality. He writes, spiritual death means the separation of the soul from God. You come into this world physically alive but spiritually dead. A second form of death. Physical death means the separation of the soul from the body. A third kind of death, eternal death, is the spiritual death made permanent. What do they share in common, these three forms of death? Separation. What do grieving people share in common? they are separated from the one who is no longer present. And so now, the psalmist is dealing with people who have questions with regard to why the separations of this world, and why can't I figure this puzzle out? It seems like it's a thousand-piece puzzle, and I got to 999, and I can't find the one that fell on the carpet. Where is it? In verse 10, in the Hebrew, it carries with the idea of a surely or certainly, where the word for is found. For he sees that even the wise die, and the fool and the stupid alike must perish. In other words, it happens to one and all. It's global, and it is guaranteed. Leave their wealth to others. It accumulates, it dissipates. 
Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain, for he is like the beasts. Like the beasts, you see, that perish. Take a look at this uh, extraordinary picture comes out of Russia and grips the attention of one and all who's got to think seriously about things that matter most in life. This is Lenin's mausoleum. Mr. Lenin, you see, passed away in 1924. And yet what we find is that there are a hired group of biologists, scientists, and others who are on call seven days a week to maintain this body that's been embalmed. There was a future point in which Stalin's body was laid next to. Their bodies speak death, but the, the people of today are continuously trying to find a way to make the dead remain alive, like the pharaohs of old with their pyramids. Hundreds of thousands of dollars per year devoted to this very matter of maintaining this body that is dead Is there a better solution to all this? Back to the text. Man in his pomp in verse 12 will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. And so, uh, got questions? Got answers, you see. Early yesterday morning, emptying out some items in a particular room, Joe's old room. My eyes get big because there, in fact, are recordings of my old radio program back in the 1990s. Now, sometimes we did Q&A online, or excuse me, not online, but, but live. Other times they were recorded messages from Sunday mornings, the church, free church in, in the greater Pittsburgh area. But there was a third approach that would be used, and that was when I would go into the studio, sit down with my director and producer, and I knew I had 28 minutes to deliver a teaching. There was a clock in front of me, digital, and then they would leave as I began. I had a proverb I kept in mind each and every day through all those years of radio ministry. Start with the end in mind. Because I knew that there would come a point where that clock would be ticking down and my director and my producer would reappear in front of me and they'd even be holding their hands up, 10, 9, 8, 7. I knew we were going to be going to commercial. And that would be that. And so I knew going in, I better start with the end in mind. What we've got to do is to equip the families of this world to start with the end in mind. 
because the end is a given. And we've got to be able to state it in some kind of proverbial form for them to embrace. This is what the psalmist is doing here. As he now leads you and leads me to this third need, the promise that we need to believe. Now, this is good. Man, it's all good. But you're reaching a point now where you are climbing this mountain and you're trying to figure out the issues of life. And you pick it up now in verse 13. You need a path. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. You pause because you've just been delivered another Selah. It's the pause in the measure of music. It's the pause in the measure of life. Now in proverbial form, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Another image, you see, of matters pertaining to death. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, no place to dwell And now I want you to see it. But God. Everything seems to be going wrong for the individual personally, the world globally. Joseph standing before his brothers. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. Daniel stands before the leader named Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2, but there is a God in heaven. You make your way to the Newer Testament. Paul has developed an early on-ramp, you see, starting with the negative. But now he reaches this juncture where in 5, verse 8, but God shows his love toward us, and that way we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But you get to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you realize he waited until verse 15 and started talking about God? He's building anticipation. He's taking them through the highway of life. He's issued the summons. He's he's created a Q&A. But people live on promises, not on explanations. They need something that offers hope. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
for he will receive me. Arms wide open. Now there's, there's a shale waiting to happen. And it's right there at the end of verse 15. What do you do with this? One last need after you look at this particular image. It's the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre. The church of the Holy Sepulchre where you've made your way down the Via Della Rosa of life, so to speak, entered into the church, and now there in Jerusalem, you're grappling with eternal life issues, empty tomb issues. Where do we go from here? Back to the text. Because fourthly, after you and I have taken time this morning to ponder the summons we need to heed, one through four, develop that on-ramp, the question we need to answer in five through 12, create the Q&As of life, the promise we need to believe, that of eternal life, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Pause. Say law with others. And then fourthly now, the perspective we need to maintain until that time comes where we will be with Jesus. Psalmist looks at you and me. There's global tensions universally. There are family tensions relationally. And now he says in response to that whole issue that he first raised in the opening verses, be not afraid. In their particular case, when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away, no U-Haul attached to his hearse. His glory will not go down after him, for though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. Bear in mind for him, this is as good as it gets. If he's an unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. If you're a believer, this is as bad as it's going to be. Like the wine in John chapter 2. Jesus saved the best for last, you see. His glory will not go down after him, for though he lives... While he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praised, when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never see light. Oh, Mr. Putin, Mr. Putin. Go to the mausoleum. Check out Lenin. Ponder that Stalin at one time was laid to rest next to him. And connect the dots. Connect the dots. Connect verse 12 to 20. Verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. Verse 20, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And you bring it home. 
And now you've got four needs that have been addressed. And you've brought the but God back into the big issues of life. For you see, three days later, Jesus was raised from the grave. Let's stand together. My word, you have brought the Easter story into a psalm. We're still weeks away from Easter. That's how you work. You bring hope where there's despair. You issue a call to people that have deafened their ears. You raise questions that people are simply unwilling to raise, and so they look for escape, materialism, alcoholism, whatever. But we raise the questions in order to provide the answers. And then you offer us the promise of eternal life found in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So, Father, now, in any of these services today, those watching online right now, hours to come, days to come, weeks to come, if there are any, Father, that have been trying to avoid the big issues, the ultimate questions of life, draw them in. Put them on this highway. Lead them to this destination. But God. And there's where life is found. May he or she now put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ. Savior and Lord. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.